right, well, come on back. I've lost all control. Come on back, come on back. And uh, we're going to turn, aren't we? We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going. And uh, if you're here for the first time and you wonder why we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, sort of being tongue-in-cheek, sort of being sort of a smart aleck, but it's because it's the next chapter. And we're just trying to go through the entire Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so on Wednesday night, generally, we do the Old Testament. We're in Jeremiah. And now, if you found yourself here today, we're in 1 Corinthians. So why is the pastor in 1 Corinthians? Uh, because it's the next chapter. And I'm not really being a smart like. And we're just saying that maybe... The whole counsel of God is what makes us healthy. And pastors are human. Did you know that? Pastors are human. They get their feelings hurt. They get burnt out. Not me, but you know. And the reason I'm telling you they're human is they can try to avoid things that are in the scriptures. Like who wants to go preach in the heart of some really rich neighborhood and talk about tithing? Not a lot of people do, and yet the Bible calls you to speak of tithing and what tithing is. Well, maybe somebody's salary is dependent upon the giving. Praise the Lord, that's not the case here. But if that's true, do, does the person behind the pulpit call out sin? Because <laughs> maybe there's some large donors in sin and we don't want to impact the giving. See, those things sort of get in the way of church sometimes, and what we're called to do is just to go right through the Bible. And if there's something that's hard and difficult, which sort of there is today, well, we can't skip it because we've committed to that. So that's the reason, you see. And that we think that if you know all the scriptures, including Leviticus, that's a joke. I love Leviticus. If you, if you know all the scriptures, well, you're going to be a healthy Christian the more that you act upon the scriptures, you see? And so that's what we're trying to do. Here we are. We find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 8. And really, you can't read 1 Corinthians 8 just sort of in, uh, by itself. 8, 9, and 10 kind of go hand in glove. And the person who's writing this letter is a guy named Paul who established this church and previously he'd spent a year and a half or so at this church, developing this church, and now he's moved on from the church. And as he was, or as the churches were prone to do, they've developed some issues in this church. And really, when you look at this church, it was sort of in rough shape. And it's beautiful, I think, how Paul doesn't skirt the issues. He's going to de deal with the issues. But if you read the first chapter or so, 
he doesn't just strike out at them. He reminds them of who they are in Christ, which is always the answer. <laughs> always return to, to the cross of Jesus Christ, the thing that he endured for our benefit. He became the poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich became the poorest of the poor so that we could be rich spiritually. And he tells us who we are, and he walks this church through many things. The first thing was there were divisions in the church about who was preaching and who was teaching, and some like this guy and some like that guy, and they, there became these divisions there, right there in Corinth, in this wicked city, only about four miles across between two bodies of water, and then underneath it was a strait that you would pass on to get under and around to Italy. And it became a really wild, wicked city with lots of different gods that the Grecian people worshipped and all that goes with that. It was vile and wicked and rough and it sounds like many American cities or America in general. The first issue, though, is this division over who they liked in Paul talked about that. And then there was this immorality in the church. In fact, there was this one man who was having a relationship in all ways with his stepmother. And that was indeed a problem, but what was even more of a problem than that was that the church, the Corinthian church, was tolerating it. Everybody was just walking around like it was okay to do it. And the, and the Lord, through Paul, said, no, 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 you, there's a way in which you deal with a sinning person in the church. You say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a great message. And we talked about this, remember, in the Old Testament, when Israel was trying to get to the promised land, there was this guy named Achan, and he took stuff that the Lord said, don't take, and he buried it under his tent. And the whole operation of trying to get into the promised land came to a paralyzing stop as they examined family after family to find out where that sin was in the camp. And what we said was, right, and some really rough things happened to Achan and his family, death. You say, man, that's a rough story, except for here's the point. Sin always leads to death, folks. If you're sitting here today and you, you don't know whether you're a Christian or not, maybe, or maybe you don't know whether you're going to heaven or not or have eternal life or not, well, you can know, and here's how you can know, because the Bible tells us, trust on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection for your sins. Admit you're a sinner, repent, and move towards God in all that he has for you, counting on the finished work of Christ. You got it? And when you do that, one thing happens to you among a billion things. But one thing is the Lord puts you into the family of God. Here we are in our little body, which is part of the bigger body of Christ. And the way in which God orchestrates his body by his principles are way different than any social club you belong to. In a social club, it doesn't matter too much if, you know, Bill is having an affair with Sally. That doesn't impact the social club agenda. 
But in the church, when there's immorality, the Lord calls for certain things to do because it's paralyzing to the church. You get it? And so we examined that at length in chapter 5. And then we came to this part about not suing one another here in the church among brothers and sisters. And if I have a land dispute with one of you, and I know I'm right, he says, don't go out into these unwise judges, these secular areas or arenas, and parade your hurts and your arguments and your stuff in front of the world that's watching for unity and love. Don't do that. In fact, if you know you're right and the other person won't stop, be ready for this, eat it. Eat the money. Don't pursue it. It's better that you just leave it alone than go and take your brother and sister to court. Well, he goes on, and last week he talked and told us about all kinds of people in the church, and this is where he starts to address the specific concerns because they'd been asking things like, well, now that I'm in the church of Christ, I'm a Corinthian, but I'm now a Christian. What happens if in my own household, my spouse isn't a believer too? Should I just divorce them and go get a Christian? <laughs> and he talks about that, and he talks about marriage and how important it is, and he talks about singleness and how important that is and how special that is, and he talks about widows and divorce, and he addresses all that. Now he comes to something we dearly love. Oh, we love it. Freedom. In fact, I want you to see something that's really important. I already read you, uh, you know, if, you've been, uh, if you abide in Christ and He in you and the Word and He, and He's going to set you free. And man, I'm so grateful our worship team really paid attention to what's part of Scripture we're in. We sang about freedom all those times there today. But if you go to John 13, something that you're all familiar with, every one of you, almost everyone in here, when I read this to you in John 13, or you look at it yourself, you're going to say, well, I know that. You don't have to tell me this. John 13 in verse 35. Look at this. By this all, we know that you are my disciples, followers. You've committed your life to Christ. You're now saying, I will follow you, and I'm never turning back. Have you said that in your life? Have I said that in my life? Have we said that in your life? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you are, the world's going to know you by how much doctrine you know. The world's going to know you, no, that's not that. The world's going to know you by how many people you set straight in their theology. Hmm, not that either. Man, the world's going to know me when I give so much money in that box. They might name a wing after me. I mean, people say these sorts of things, folks, or think them in their hearts and their minds. And Jesus says none of that. He says... We'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you know what one of the greatest witnessing tools are, is? 
is how much you love one another. Because you're showing to the world a love that doesn't exist outside of Christ. A love that bears long with people. He's going to say it here in about five chapters. And you're going to find yourself, or at least I'm going to find myself like, wow, love never fails. Hmm. It suffers long. Love suffers long with people. Facebook tells you to get them out of your life if they bother you in any way. Culture says get people out of your life. Culture says if somebody's unkind to you, give them a piece of your mind. Real love is kind to people who hate them. Love doesn't envy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Admit it to yourself. You walk around, we walk around, and we say, wow, why does the pastor ask him to preach on Wednesday nights and not me? Why did he let him do that class and not me? Why does that person always seem to get ahead and I don't? Love doesn't envy. No, love roots for the other person. Love doesn't parade itself. You don't show people how great you are. Love's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. Oh, my. Whew. I've seen some of your Facebook posts. That's a joke. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. How about that one? Love is not provoked. In the midst of criticism or counsel or even striking against, it doesn't get provoked. It's calm and collected and thinks no evil and doesn't rejoice in sin or iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, not just some things. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and it endures all things and love never fails. And so when you go back to chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, something that Paul, you know, we just skipped between a couple chapters in the letter. Paul now is going to tell us in a roundabout way, in ways maybe you've never even thought about, about how to live together. Because I got news for you folks. The Bible doesn't set down rules for every situation of your life. And in the first particular case, Paul's going to deal with this issue. You ready? Something you don't really have to deal with, but I'm going to show you how it uh, uh, relates to you, I think. Is that, see, in this city, in fact, right above this church, up on a big hill, this city had several temples dedicated to pagan gods. Dedicated to pagan gods. And much like the way in which the old temple of the, you know, the, the Jews worked, they would actually sacrifice animals to their gods. And, again, like the Jews, what they thought was, well, some could be burnt, but some could actually go to the heathen or pagan priests who were offering it, sort of to supply the priests. But because the priests would get inundated with so many sacrifices, they would take some of the meat, now watch this, and they would take it out of the temple and they would sell it in the marketplace in Corinth. Now think about that. 
You've just become a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've said, my allegiance is to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're living in the city where you can go right to the temple. And when you go to the temple, let's be honest. You ever, you know, you ever been out on that fall day or that summer day? You're at the beach. You, know, you haven't eaten all day, and somebody's grilling out. It just smells so amazing. Sorry, vegetarians. It just does. And there's just something about it. You want just ice in your drink, and you want that big, you know, Coke, because nobody would drink Pepsi. You would drink Coke. Sorry. (laughs) Any, no, I won't. But anyway, you want the Coke, and you chips or the fry, you know, it just smells so good. And that's what would happen in Corinth. They would actually have these places where they would actually sell. And some extra-biblical sources say there was sort of a restaurant type of place, like a stand where you could eat right there. So think of the dilemma that they would be in. And they're now writing a letter and saying, what are we free to do? We don't know. What are we free to do? Listen to what this says. Now, concerning things offered to idols, you see, he's responding to a question that they've asked. Now, concerning things offered to idols, in verse 1, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Circle that. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, As there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things. And we for him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through him all are things, and through him we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak, that's fascinating is defiled. But food doesn't commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Uh, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Do you remember that you're in a body of Christ? You're not in a Kiwanis club. You're not in a social club. You've You've come into something that the Lord's established. Not you, not me, not the pastor. Not It's something that the Lord has established, a body of believers to worship him. Remember that when you're reading this. It's different when you surrender your life to Christ. Beware this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, I want you to circle this. Because There's people in here who are going to be really uncomfortable today, including me. But this is a serious matter. It's so serious, you wound 
their weak conscience, when you do something that stumbles a brother or a sister, watch this, you sin against Jesus himself. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, you got to see this. You can't know all of this unless you read 9 and 10. I just want to read to you something in chapter 10, verse 14. Flip over to me, or over with me, because we're going to lay this out, because maybe if you don't see this next to each other, you're going to say, well, what's the deal here? Watch this. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Sound familiar? We read that today. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat the sacrifices, watch this, partakers of the altar? Is this contradicting itself? What am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or, that, or what is offers to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, hmm. and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now watch, verse 23 Here he goes, he shifts again. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What does edify mean? Build up. Let no one seek his own, but each one his the other's well-being. Please put that on your refrigerator. I'll put it on mine. Do that verse. That sort of chafes against our American spirit, doesn't it? (laughs) Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for consciousness' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who don't believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscious sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, well, don't eat, it for this, don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience's sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, watch it. Here's the summary paragraph. Don't be confused. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. I hope as you've been reading through this with me, one thing has just sort of punched you right in the face, not really punched you in the face, but you get it. It's just stood out to you is that when you come into the body of Christ, you're not an island unto yourself. You are to be interacting and loving and sharing and serving and growing with other people. 
And there are certain things that aren't written out in the Bible. Maybe it's not. Can I eat the meat that was served in an idol or at a temple that's not the Christian temple? But you know, there's all kinds of other things that sort of perplex and divide Christians. Here's some of them. Ready? Here's sort of the offensive part. <laughs> it's things like this. Can I go to a movie or not? That's troubled Christians for a long time. Because I don't know if you noticed, but in Hollywood, movies have gotten increasingly vile and sick. Can I go to a movie? Can I, can I read novels? You're like, well, come on, that's, I, I can, yeah, whatever. Well, my allegiance is to the Lord. Am I able to smoke and still be a Christian? That's stumbled lots of people. What about drinking? I know the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but am I able to have social drinking? Boy, bring that up between some Christians. You'll have a lot of fun with that one. Well, what about Halloween? Should we celebrate Halloween? Or how about a harvest party? We're not doing Halloween. We're doing a harvest party. How about that one? Christmas trees. There's one, Christmas trees. That gets a lot of Christians all jammed up between each other. True? Oh, now you're saying, but it, come on, man. None, you haven't hit me yet. I'm going to hit you right now. What about masks? And I got every one of you. <laughs> or vaccines. Or should I wear my skirt there or there? Can I dance at the dance or can I not dance at the dance? I mean, people have debated these things and not only have debated these things, these things have split churches, folks. And so there are principles in here that help us, I think. In this case, he's talking about if I'm walking down the street and I smell the whiff, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Can I purchase the stuff? Oh, by the way, oftentimes the stuff that was sold in that marketplace that came from that temple was cheaper. And come on now, I know there's some penny pinchers in here. And so you'd walk past and you'd say, here, here's what somebody, some people in the Lord said. Here is one camp. Ready? Stick with me now. I'm telling you, this has everything to do with you. So you're walking down the street, and you're a person who Paul says has liberty with respect to the idols. And here's your thinking. You say, well, now that I've come into a relationship with God, the one true and living God, he writes it out in here, the one true God. Now that I've come into relationship with the one true God through Jesus Christ himself, that idol that they're worshiping in that temple, I know, is nothing. I don't care if they've made massive structures, they have wood little things, they dance around and sing to it. I don't care what they do. It's non-existent. There's one true and living God. So when I walk down the street and I see meat that's cheaper, and it sniffs and smells good, I'm going to buy it and take it home and eat it. 
It does nothing to me because I know the idols nothing. That's this camp. And that camp, Paul says, has freedom and liberty to eat that meat. But as we read, there were some people whose consciences, can't even say it, were sort of what he calls, not my words, weak. They're the ones that have been impacted in the past by that temple worship. And even though they've said, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, my all allegiances to him, those things in the past sort of impact my conscience. That thing, that internal court that God equipped you with that tells you whether something is right or wrong, your conscience. And your conscience can be grieved by sin, the Bible tells us, but it also can grow if you feed it the word and act upon it. Everybody tracking with me? And so some people are just new in Christ and their conscience is weak. Some people refuse to take in the word and act upon it. And some people don't even want to be around and hear what this camp has to say about their liberty. I'm never doing it, they say. And so when they, they don't even walk down the temple street, they get up and they move around and go another street because they don't even want to be near it because it brings back things to their conscience that impacts them and they don't want to fall. By the way, by the way, Paul, not saying it in a derogatory way, I want you to notice this. It's the person who abstains and can't do it who's weak. Paul says it, not me. I want you to notice that. And I say that to my own self. Sometimes I say in here, you know, I used to drink a lot. And so... There's some triggers for me. You guys were, not you, but Pittsburgh was all up in a roar two weeks ago about the Rolling Stones. Do you know they came to Pittsburgh? You see, that's one of my triggers. I used to love the Rolling Stones. I love fall days and football and kegs and everything that came with that. So I turn on some things like secular music. Is it wrong? Here's another one. You listen to secular music. Fights. Man, I turn on the Rolling Stones, and you know what I want to do instantly? Drink. I know you say, well, get over it. I've had some people tell me to get over it. Well, my conscience is weak over there. So I'm just bringing up one. And he says, this camp, and I don't think he says it derogatory. He says, they're weak in that area, so they're being smart and they're abstaining. But here's the problem. You ready for this? It's when the camp is discussing something that's not set forth down in the Bible as a commandment or something to abstain from. It's when both camps say, this is my conviction, but it ought to be yours too. Do you see that's where the problem is? It's not that they hold this conviction, I can do it, I can't do it. The problem becomes is when I say, say, I can't do it, and neither should you. In debatable issues, 
Is everybody following? Well, we're shaking our heads, but we fight about it. We fight about it. We fight about all these things, and I want you to see what the Lord says. You see, this camp has knowledge. They know that they're weak in that area. And this camp has lots of knowledge. They correctly deduce from logic, don't they? That idol's nothing. It's not even existent. So if I eat the meat, how could I be doing something bad? It doesn't even exist. See, that's logical. But you know what? (laughs) When I first started swimming lessons, anybody take swimming lessons? In our hometown, everybody took swimming lessons at the YWCA. And you walked in there, and you just knew it. That pool looked so deep of water. And the parents behind you are sort of patting you on the back, closer and closer to the edge. And then they start saying things to you like, Oh, honey, I put the rubber floaties up here. And look, you've got three counselors down there, three swim instructors. When you jump in, nothing's going to happen, and that's logical. But I was still afraid. So there's logic on both sides, you see. But knowledge puffs up. They, They have the knowledge. They have the knowledge. But the Lord says... If you're acting and basing all of your actions in these debatable issues upon knowledge, you better watch out. Why? It happens all the time. I don't need to wear a mask. I've read all the studies. I know that the media is telling us, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. But if you listen to these people and, blah, 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 and you just, and you, and knowledge. And then you go over here and then these people find studies and it says, you know, but the little particular, blah, 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 if you wear the right one and if you're just not, knowledge. And you could debate whose knowledge is better or whatever, but both have knowledge. And, and what if you act upon knowledge, guess what starts to come out? Smugness, arrogance. Sound like our times? Cutting people off theologically because they don't agree with what you agree with. Sound familiar? Not willing to yield. Sharp with each other. Mean to one another. See, all of this over the last year in mass or two years has manifested itself. And we can talk about any issue. I just picked out masks. We could talk about secular music. We could talk about meat to idols. We could talk about whether we could do a harvest party or not. We could talk about dancing. It doesn't matter. But when you act just on the basis of knowledge, you become smug, arrogant, biting, sharp, and not looking out for the interest of others. Come on, folks. That's what we've seen for two years. Can you have this conviction? Of course. Can you have this conviction? Yeah. It's just when you start saying you ought to have the same conviction. Hmm. Well, you keep reading and you say, why would he say this? Knowledge puffs up. It makes somebody arrogant. But love edifies. Wait a minute. If the reaction in the 
amongst the Christian is that people are feeling less and less edified. We must be acting upon knowledge. How about we get back to love, which builds people up? And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Folks, you catching that? You don't know it all. Neither do I. I I don't know it all. You don't know it all. We don't know it all. And furthermore, we don't have to know it all. And we don't have to prove and elevate ourselves in every circle saying we do know it all. In fact, the Bible tells us not to yield what we believe in the essentials. No, we can't deny the Trinity. We can't deny the virgin birth. No way. But in debatable issues, watch this, it's better to love and to yield and to put down your rights. And then he writes this, it's so curious. It's like, it's like you're reading and you're like, why would he put this here? That doesn't make any sense at first glance. But if anyone loves God, this ought to be our favorite verse of the Bible. <laughs> but if anyone loves God, and if I asked you, And I'm looking around, and I'd say, do you love God? I bet you most of us would raise our hand. See, but the reason you love God, and this is the most important thing that we could ever know, I think, as a Christian, it's because he knows you already. You are known by him. And then all the promises start to spew out from there. Like, for instance, if I asked my dad for some bread, my good dad, You think he's going to give me something bad, like a scorpion or a stone or a rock? He would never do that. I need food, man. You serve a good, good God, and you're known by him. The implications for verse 3 of chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians are mind-blowing. You're known by the creator of the entire universe. And you serve him, and you love him, You could know all about God. You know there's people in the church that know this Bible so amazingly well. Jeremiah 25, I know exactly what it says. Leviticus 4, perfect, I got it. And they have no concept of 1 Corinthians 8, 3. They, they have no idea how much the Lord loves him, and it makes all the difference in the world. You see, because, do you know this? Truth without love is brutal, Warren Wearsby. Truth without love is brutality. I'm just going to hammer you all the time. I'm going to hammer you all the time. But see... Love without truth is really sort of wimpy. It is wimpy. It's just nothingness. Hi, how you doing? Do whatever you want in life. That's not the message of the Bible. Parents do it all the time. Oh, you stabbed somebody, no big deal. He was tired. But when you know that you know that God knows you, and he sent his son to die for you. It transforms your life. And when you know that, 
secular music, non-secular music, dancing, no dancing, dancing, whatever, freedom, weakness, it doesn't matter. You can bear with people long in real love because God loves you. That's what he says. Therefore, concerning the eating of things, verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing. You see how it's coming out? And that there is no other God but one. He knows this, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we for him. There's one God, and he knows you. They come, all, everything comes from him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through him we live. He's our very life. Jesus is our life. Put that on a shirt instead of football is life or whatever, right? Basketball is life. No, Jesus is our life. But beware, oh, excuse me. However, there is not, verse 7, in everyone that knowledge for some. Do you see how it's unfolding These guys, these free people, they have that knowledge, but these people don't exactly get it yet. But it doesn't exclude them from the body of Christ. That's what he's saying here. For some with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. It messes them up. Their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food doesn't commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. In other words, watch, folks. Watch. Love doesn't envy. Love is kind. Love bears long. In the the body of Christ, one telling attribute of a Christian is what they do and how they act towards people who are, quote-unquote, weaker. And, and the ones who actually feel in this camp that they're stronger because they're abstaining from everything, they look at one of the marks of them is, what do you do when you look across the idol and you see, you know, Gertrude dancing at the dance and you're convicted not to? <laughs> who, what do you do with somebody else's weakness or liberty? It's a great mark of the church. And I just got to tell you, I'm just going to be honest. The Christian church in America has failed miserably at this. We failed. You got, I know, I can feel it right now. The people in this camp, in this room, they're chafing. And people over in this camp, guess what's happening? They're chafing too. (laughs) You know what we're both saying on both sides? He can say that all he wants, but I know I'm right. See, if you're saying that to yourself, you're missing the point. There are other people in here who have differences of opinions on debatable issues. Maybe God's called you to something, but the way in which we deal with the weaker brother, it says a lot about who we are as Christians. Look in verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Man, yes, I know. There's nothing over there. This is, I can just hear it. I can hear it in your minds. This is so stupid. 
That's nothing. It's a nothing temple. It's a nothing idol. How could you not eat? And Paul says, but beware. And Paul's in the camp of eating. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. You're looking out. And even if that person disagrees or doesn't agree with you and they're matching you point for point, you look across the aisle and you go, wow, I love that guy or that girl. And so, you know what? Because that might stumble him or her, Paul says, I'll never eat at the meat. If that's going to stumble them, I care so much about that person that I'll never eat the meat. And I'm free to do it. I have my rights. So for it, anyone sees you, for if anyone sees you, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Now let's just use me for example. Well, I can't drink, folks. I'll let you in on a little secret. I can't even have a sip. Because if I drink just that much it'll turn into 10 of those. So I just stay away from it. But let's just say for the sake of argument that I'd said in my mind, and I felt free to have the social drink. And so, you know, you pulled up and you were getting some uh, Chinese up, in the, up by the Dunkin' Donuts across from Jefferson, and I went into Duffy's Beer Mart. And you saw me walking in, and maybe, I don't know, whatever, I, had, I could be, and you saw me coming through. And, you know, maybe somebody uh, that meets in the addiction ministry was going to the Chinese place, and they say, well, my goodness, if the pastor can do it, I can do it. <laughs> Man, I don't want to be in that position. I, I don't want to stumble them. Am I free to have that drink or not? Yeah, Probably. We could debate that, but probably. But they're more important to me than my desire to have a drink. I'll never have it. That's this chapter. And oh, by the way, if I slam my fist on the table and I say, I don't care what they think. I'm allowed to do this. And I come walking out of Duffy's with, you know, my tequila in one hand and my beer in the other. And that person ends up in recovery or a hospital or dying. You say, well, you're being dramatic. No, I don't think I am. I know not only wrecked their weak conscience, I sinned against the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. This is serious stuff. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble or if drink make my brother stumble or if that makes my brother stumble, I'll never again eat the meat lest I make my brother stumble. And you say, well, wait a minute. You read to me something from flee from idolatry over in chapter 10. Turn there real quick. And I read to you verse 14 all the way to the end or mostly to the end. And it seems to say, 
and contradict one another. But you've got to remember, even if I understand that that's not an idol and I'm in this camp, I'm still not free to idolatry. You get what I'm saying? And in this particular case, Paul says that over at the old temple, the enemy of our souls was working overtime. (laughs) And he's trying to get people to stumble at the altar of meat that was offered to these pagan gods. And he says, though, in verse 18, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Bible tells us that Christians, we're not to yoke up with anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ. A permanent fixed relationship. We're not to have idols. We're not to yoke up. We're not to be be that way. So the best explanation I've ever heard is from a guy named Alan Redpath on this seeming contradiction, which really isn't if you think about it. He says this, he draws here, Paul does, an important distinction to which Christian people today have apparently shut their eyes, and that's this. Our fellowship is at Calvary, the cross. But our contact, watch this, must still be with the world. Our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus, but our friendship is for those who don't know the Lord Jesus. Are you catching that? Our fellowship is in the blood shed on the cross and the body of Jesus broken for us, but in his name, we become all things to all men. Paul says that at the end of the chapter. Why? So that we might win over to Christ some of them. The love of Christ constrains us, and we should be willing to go anywhere or do anything if only in so doing we might win a soul for Jesus. In other words, watch this, Paul distinguishes between our associations and our fellowship, between our contacts and our communion. Some people don't understand that. If a Christian moves in ungodly circles has a meal with an unsaved person, goes to the house of unbelieving friends, or has social contact with them, immediately immediately the world or the church says he's lowering his standards. He's having fellowship with unbelievers. Alan Redpath says he's doing nothing of the kind. His fellowship will stay at Calvary and his heart in tune with God while for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, he moves into contact with ungodly people that he might win them for him. Wow. So he says this. Why don't you do this to wrap this up? Here are some rules. I actually went out on a church website. Time out. This is a little rabbit trail. (laughs) Here are some things to ask yourself. If you have the If you have the debate, mask, no mask, drinking, no drinking, skirt above the knee or below the knee, dancing, no dancing, Halloween party, harvest party, Christmas tree, no Christmas tree. Ask yourselves these questions. I went out uh, on one church. They had 67 litmus tests. I'm like, 67? How could I do 67? Here, Alan Redpath gives us three 
Let me read them to you. The child of God should obey these things. Is to remember the first thing is that we're to move out. Are we called to move out into the world but not be impacted by the world? If you're trying to move out into the world or do something, what is your motive for doing it? Are you going out there for you to change the spiritual climate or will the spiritual climate there change you? If it does the latter, you might want to stay away. I personally can't really tailgate much. (laughs) Because tailgating rubs off on me a lot. I'm weak there. So I stay away from it. You get it? The second rule. If I move in ungodly circles and discover that my heart is going out to the things they enjoy, if I realize that I'm faltering in my devotion to the Lord, if I'm beginning to hanker after the things of the world, then don't do that thing. You get it? You're to be out in the world, but not to be of the world. So be out in the world, but if the things in the world are going to change you, don't do it. Everybody tracking with me? There's two of them. I didn't really distinguish those good for you. The first one would be called sacrificial living for others. The second one would be called separation unto God. But the third thing to ask yourself, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're not to do some things for the glory of ourselves to make a name or reputation, but to maintain a single-minded purpose for the glory of the Savior. If what you're doing is something that elevates you in knowledge, Maybe you ought to think about not doing it. Not that you're not to have knowledge. You are to have knowledge to come into a relationship with Christ. But if you're basing your action on the knowledge that you have and just knowledge without love, watch out. Watch out. Well, in discussing these issues, Warren Wearsby gives another litmus test. I'll just give them to you. Will they lead to freedom or slavery? What you're doing lead to freedom for you or slavery, or freedom for others or slavery. Will they make me a stumbling block for somebody? Watch this, or a stepping stone. That's a good one. Am I going to stumble somebody, or am I going to lead them to Christ through what I choose to do? That's a good one. Will they build me up or tear me down? Will they only please me, or will they glorify Christ? Will they help to win the loss to Christ or turn them away? That's 1 Corinthians 10.33, and oh, now we're done. But man, this is Christianity. You get it? A transformed life by the blood of Jesus Christ is sensitive to these things. Paul wasn't being a chameleon, I'll be anything to any man, change my witness, change my witness, change my witness, change my witness. He wasn't being that. His witness was always the same. What he was saying, I can move in any circles. You want to talk sports? Let's talk sports. And let's glorify Christ. You want to talk about academics? Let's talk about academics and lead people to Christ. Oh, You like model cars. Well, let's talk about model cars. Oh, you love looking at the uh, home uh, HGTV. That's your thing. And well, let's talk about that because there's a home in heaven waiting for you. 
You love food? You're a gourmet foodie type? I have a funny joke, but I won't say it. Well, you're a gourmet, you're a foodie type? Well, you're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You love to work and you're a workaholic? Well, is your work being devoted in worship to the Lord? Or is it for your own personal glory? See, these are the things that you say to yourself. This is what happens to a person who's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you're sitting here today and you're thinking, my goodness, I don't even know what the guy's talking about up there. Well, maybe you've never come into a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now, and we're not going to sing a last worship song. We, we made our singers go teach Sunday school. No, they were, on the, they were on the schedule. But anyway, we're not going to do that, but if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, during this prayer, do it if the Lord's tugging on your heart. If that's happened for you, I want you to come up and tell us. If there's something else in your life, maybe you need to repent. Maybe you're in this camp. Oh, my gosh. I can be in this camp sometimes, by the way, and I can be in this camp sometimes. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to seek the Lord. Or maybe you're just plain mad at me for preaching this chapter. <laughs> in that case, go see Xander. <laughs> but let's pray. Well, Lord, you give us a great insight in what the, how the church should look and what it should be and how it should run by the blood of Jesus and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, him, his, him empowering us as a church and as believers. And Lord, in order to live and move in this way, we first have to come into a relationship with you by the blood of your Son. And so we're praying, Lord, if there's somebody here that's never done that, not sure whether they're going to heaven or have eternal life, Lord, we pray that they would just give their heart right now to Jesus Count on him and finished work and for his resurrection for new life. And come into a discipleship, a learning, a follower, be a follower and give their life. If that's anybody here, I just pray that they would say that to the Lord right now. And for those of us who might have to confess that we've not been loving, we've been more knowledgeable and loving over the last several years, Lord, I just pray that you would change our hearts and bring us to a place of humility and gentleness and love while still being truthful, Lord. Help us to live this out. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen.